Good morning, Restoration. Uh, my name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that we get to spend this time together. Last week, I wasn't here because I was in, at our Plymouth location. We're one church in three locations here in Dover and in Plymouth and in Londonderry. And in November, I got to go to Londonderry and to Plymouth. To, just to connect, if you were at worship night a few weeks ago, and you just felt that we are one church, and, and um, we've got friends and family at every location, and it's exciting to see what God's doing at every location. Well, if you got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1, and um, while you're opening there, we are starting a sermon series today called Advent, and depending on your church background, what kind of background you grew up in, or how old you are, you may not be familiar with that term. Or even, you could have uh, a lot of negative feelings toward that term, or toward Advent, and you could be questioning why I would be talking about that in church. Now, let me give you some definitions, and I'll explain why some people would not want us to do that, and, um, and, and explain why we're talking about it today. Um, many churches across the globe observe Advent and celebrate Advent as the four weeks leading up to Christmas Day. It's a special season where they're preparing their hearts and preparing themselves for, uh, for what happens on Christmas Day. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus and uh, everything that that means for us. Now, with churches that, um, that celebrate Advent... What they will do is they'll have specific scriptures, specific sermons, um, specific things that they do during those four weeks. And every church of that tradition will do the same thing during those four weeks. So it's very, um, uh, it's a lot of tradition, a lot of things that repeat. And so whether you're here or whether you're in Spain, Really, those pastors are preaching the same thing. They're singing the same songs. They're reading the same scriptures on those, on those same days. Now, why would anybody be opposed to that? Because it sounds like that would be a lot of fun. It connects you into the bigger body of God. Well, um, I've grown up in church. Actually, I grew up in this church. I've been uh, uh, not just a pastor, also a member, and uh, been here for over 30 years. And the entire time I grew up, we never talked about Advent. I don't remember us, and it could have happened, I could have been coloring during service, but I don't remember us ever talking about it or teaching it, and certainly we didn't celebrate it the way that other churches around the world celebrate it. And one of the reasons this is so is because many people um, came to our church or have come to churches after they had attended uh, traditional or mainline churches for many years, and while they attended those churches, they never met Jesus. And so when they come to a church like ours and they hear about Jesus for the first time and give their life to him, they want to really kind of cast off the old traditions that they used to follow that did not point them to Jesus. One example of this would be in my own family. So my parents came to Christ when they were in their 20s, and uh, my dad came to Christ because one of his co-workers began to talk to him about Jesus. And so he had grown up Catholic, been part of Catholic church, but his friend introduced him to Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus and his, and his entire life was just absolutely transformed when he made that decision to follow Jesus. He had been a heavy drinker, an alcoholic. He gave that up 
uh, within his first two weeks of, of giving his life to Christ. He read through the entire Bible. Within a month and a half, he read through the entire Bible twice and uh, was absolutely changed by the message of Jesus. Now, one of the things that my dad had a problem with is because he had gone to these, um, to these traditional churches, um, he had gone to them his entire life, but had never come to know Jesus, didn't even know really about Jesus or that he could have his life changed by Jesus. So when he and many others like him of his generation came to know Jesus uh, at a different church than the one they grew up in, they kind of decided that's a dead religion. These, all these traditions, they don't lead to anywhere. And so they kind of threw them all out. And that is the type of, that, and that was kind of how I grew up. We didn't talk about these things. We didn't celebrate these things because that way didn't lead us to Jesus. And we just want to do things that lead us to Jesus. Now, we're not going to follow Advent like uh, some of these other traditions do, but we do want to talk about it because there is value in it, and there are things that are true about it that could help us to know Jesus. It'll help us in our understanding of Jesus and can really help us today as we make a decision to follow Jesus. So, what does Advent mean? It's not just a calendar you open up and you get some chocolates. Um, it is a season of four weeks leading up to Christmas that prepare our hearts for his coming. And Advent simply means coming. So we're preparing our hearts knowing that and really getting ready to celebrate Christmas Day where we remember that Jesus came to earth. He was in heaven. He was fully God. But he, in a rescue mission for us, in a way to change our lives and, and allow us to have freedom from sin, he left heaven and put on flesh. God among us, God incarnate, he became one of us in order that he could save us. And so we, in part of Advent season, we remember that coming, that he did that. And when you remember that Jesus did that, that does something to you and you react in a way of just remembering Christmas is not about the lights, it's not about the music, it's not about the eggnog, though praise the Lord for all those things. It is about him leaving heaven, becoming a man so that we could have forgiveness, that we could have everlasting life, that we could have a relationship with God the Father. And when you remember that's why he came, that changes everything about, the, about this season. So that's a special thing that happens when churches remember Advent. They prepare their hearts for Christmas morning and everything that happens. You shop different. Uh, I think you treat people differently in the stores. Um, you, um, even the things you ask for change when you remember what Jesus did for us. Now, there's two meanings of Advent and two things that we actually celebrate in Advent. We don't just celebrate that he came and remember that he left heaven and became, and, and became a baby, but we also, in Advent, are remembering and celebrating and preparing our hearts for the second time he will come. There's a second time that Jesus will come to earth, and part of Advent is remembering that he's going to come again. The first time he came, he put on flesh and came humbly and came as a baby and, and came kind of under the radar. 
But the second time he comes, it won't be that same way. He's going to come uh, carrying the title King of Kings. He's going to come with the thunder of heaven. And he's going to come with everybody knowing globally around the world that he has has arrived and he has come again. First time it was kind of silent. It was unknown. It was under the radar. But the second time will not be that way. And Advent is remembering that. Advent is remembering his coming. And as a church this morning, is we, one of the reasons we want to talk about Advent and have this series about Advent is because if we remember, if we remember his coming, that he came once and that he came again, really this changes, this has, uh, this changes our life. It does something for us today to know that he came once, but he didn't just leave and forget about us, but know that he's coming again. And church, as I talk with you out of God's word today, as we look at Advent, as we remember his coming, what I want to say today is have hope. As we remember his coming, have hope. We can have hope because of, uh, because of what he's done for us. And as we talk about hope in an American context, we, defi- we define it differently than the biblical context and the way that I'm talking about today. When you say, uh, you know, I hope you have a good Christmas, or I hope that girl likes you, or I hope you get what you want for Christmas, what you're saying in an American context is, man, I wish for you. I wish you a Merry Christmas. And the biblical context and the biblical definition of that is much different. To have hope or to be hopeful means I have confidence in God. So to have, when I tell you, hey, he's coming, he's coming again, have hope. That means have confidence in God. That is so much different different than just wishing. That's so much different than wishing. The hope that we're talking about, the biblical hope, it is something you can stand on. It is something that you can press against. It is something that will support you and sustain you. It's not just throwing up good ideas or good thoughts. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1. Um, we're going to start reading at verse number 26. And as we go through the message, we'll read a couple of scriptures and then we'll talk about it. So you want to keep your Bibles open. We're going to go through um, uh, 12 verses here in this message. So just keep that open as we talk through it. And as we go through and we begin to talk about having hope, I want you, first of all, to have hope because Jesus knows who you are. He knows you. And so you can have confidence in God knowing that what he's saying and what he's doing, he's not just doing it as kind of a blanket blanket statement for everybody and you just have to fall in line. He knows you. He knows all about you. And we can have hope because he knows your status. He knows where you're coming from. He knows what you're like. He knows where your placement is in society. He knows all those things about you. And the passage of scripture we're about to read is one that's famous at, famously read at Christmas time, but it's not a Christmas story. It's a salvation story. And it, has, it is as true to today around Christmas time as it is any other time of the year. And um, an angel shows up, there's a kind of miraculous moment right from the very beginning, shows up to, uh, to a young woman named Mary. And we're going to read this interaction. 
verse number 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that was Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, prior to this angel showing up and this announcement, Mary's really an insignificant person uh, in her culture and in her day. She wasn't popular, she wasn't rich, she wasn't well-known, uh, she wasn't she, or, or famous. She was just average, like you and me, average. Um, regular people living a regular life, but God knew her. She was from an unknown town, but God knew her. He knew where she was. And as we sit here in our service today, just regular people in a, in, in a regular town, you think God doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about you, but he knows you. He knows your status. He knows whether you're uh, rich or not. He knows whether you're healthy or not. He knows whether you're um, uh, popular or not. He knows everything about your life. For Mary, as she, you begin to figure out why would God choose Mary, she was just an average person. She wouldn't have been chosen to be the leader of anything. She wouldn't have been chosen for anything um, uh, important, but yet God chose her for, for this one time in history important uh, uh, eternity-changing event. God knew her status, he knew everything about her. He knew where she lived. He knew where he could find her. And he picked her to be a part of this. He knew her personality. He knew her demeanor. He knew her heart. God knows you. We can have hope in that. I don't know what you're dealing with today, who you are, what you're struggling with, um, what kinds of things that you're feeling pressure about, but God does. He knows all of those things going on. He knows, uh, he, he knows your address. He knows your character. He knows your regrets. He knows your dreams. And he, he knows all of those things about you. And when it came time for him to leave heaven, and, and I don't know that this could have happened, but if he was up there and he's like, all right, show me again if I, if I do this, if I, become a, if I leave and, and, and take on humanity and, and limit myself on this rescue mission, show me again. Who are the people that will come to know me? Who are the people who will be forgiven and, and to be saved? And if he pulled out a roster and you begin to see our names, like, these are just regular people. I don't, you, you know, he didn't look at that and say, nah, never mind. It, it, you know, sorry, it, they're not important enough. No, knowing, he left heaven knowing it would be you and I who would make a decision to follow him. And he knew that and continued on that mission anyway because he loves you. He loves you. You can have hope because he knows who you are. He knows your status. And he still is after you. He still wants to have a, a, a relationship with you. You can have hope because he knows your fears. Look at the next verse in that passage in verse number 29. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. 
the angel shows up and that wasn't troubling enough to all of a sudden have an angel appear to you. The message from the angel troubled her even more. The angel recognized what was going on and said, hey, you don't have to be afraid. We can have hope. We can have confidence in God because he knows what we're afraid of. He knows what we're, what we're feeling and what's going on. And so Mary was troubled. Think about all the emotions that a visit from an angel would evoke. And then not only that, but think about how it would alter her life and, her, and the plans of her life after that visit. So she was scared. She was going to be carrying the, the, the she's going to be carrying God within her. She would be given the task not just to birth this miracle, but then to raise this miracle, and she would have to steward that opportunity. Well, this would be a moment. Imagine raising God's son. So not only just that, having to try, trying to process that all right away, but she told you're going to be pregnant. She knows she's not married. She knows she's engaged to be married. And at this time in history, um, for her to become pregnant outside of marriage, for her to become pregnant or to be in a, uh, have a sexual relationship with someone who wasn't her husband would mean, mean she could be given the death sentence. And so she now faced with this news has, become, has to become aware of her the punishment she could face, and the loss of her own life. But God wasn't surprised by any of this. So he didn't make the announcement, and then Mary presents him with more facts, and then God is all of a sudden stunned, like, oh, man, I didn't think this through. I, didn't think this through. I, should, have, I should have done this a different way. Um, I didn't think about all the personal ramifications this could have upon your life and Joseph's life. Um, sorry. He... he he knew the fears, but he also knew his plan, and he knew that, uh, that her fears really were unfounded, that, um, yeah, it was legitimate to have those fears, but God knew his plan and how he was going to walk out his plan and how her willingness to accept his plan would change eternity. If you think about your life, I mean, what troubles you? What has you questioning God's timing? God, if you could have done this two years ago, that would have been great. God, if you could do this two years from now, that would be great. But why now? This is not convenient timing for me. This is not what I need right now. I don't really need to deal with the troubles that this could bring me. God, why are you calling me to do this now? Why are you trying to do this in my life now? Um, there's got to be a better way or a different way. Do you feel like God's being insensitive to you? He's asking you to do something, but he's not taking into consideration your feelings. Listen, have hope, have confidence in God and what he's calling you to do and what he's asking you to do and who he's asking you to be. He knows your fears, but he also sees the end of the story and he knows what a difference it will make if you will follow him and be obedient to what he's calling you to do. It'll make a difference in your heart. It'll make a difference in your life. It'll also make a difference in someone else's life. Think about that guy who began to tell my dad about Jesus. He didn't know the significance of that, that that decision would make, that my father would come to Christ, that then I would come to know Jesus, and that I would pastor a, a, a church, and we'd have a church in three locations in New Hampshire. That guy couldn't be thinking about that when 
he was beginning to tell my dad about Jesus uh, 40 years ago, but yet that guy said, all right, well, if I'm going to lose a friend over this, I'm just going to do, God, what you're telling me to do. I'm going to tell this coworker about you. And it was because of his obedience to that that now um, so many people's lives have been changed, including my own. So we have hope because he knows your status. We have hope because he knows your fears. But also we have hope because he knows your purpose. He knows, um, what, uh, he knows who you are and what he's called you to do. Uh, look at verse number 31. The angel speaking says, You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So a whole lot packed into those two verses. But Mary, by receiving this assignment, by receiving this call in her life, was um, really stepping into these huge, amazing things and, um, and they were kind of all packed here in the verse. So she's going to give birth to a child. That child will be a son. She's going to name him Jesus. She is, um, as she raises him, all will come to know that he is the son of God. As, she, as, she, as he lives his life, all will come to know that he uh, will be a king. As she follows this, all will know that he will rule over um, the house of Jacob forever and Israel forever, and then all will eventually know that his kingdom will be eternal, that it will never, ever end. And all this kind of in that one moment of making a decision to accept this assignment from God and saying, it, God has created her for this purpose, for this assignment, and for this role. all all that in there and we have to say all right god knows what he's doing he's given her this assignment he's he's calling her into this purpose and of all the reasons why we can have hope because he knows what he's doing his ways aren't our ways we his, his, we don't know what he knows but we have hope knowing that he knows what he knows and that he can do what he says he can do we have hope because he knows our status, because he knows our fears, because he knows our purpose, but also we have hope because he knows our doubts. Verse number 34, it says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived to a son and is now in her sixth month. And get the angels using the example, hey, God did a miracle for your cousin. You need to call, you need to not call her, but you need to travel to her and find out, which Mary later did. And he's saying, God is a God, it is God who does miracles. So she doesn't know how this can happen. She begins to doubt it. And, uh, but the angel knows how it can happen. There is going to be a miracle. And 
She has some legitimate doubts about this, and certainly Joseph is going to have doubts about this. Mary expressed, how can I be pregnant? Um, I'm still a virgin. I'm not, I'm not married. I'm engaged to be married, but, um, but how can this be? And the angel responds, it will be a miracle. And then Joseph, he's going to have his doubts. And he's going to say, is this a miracle or is this a lie? Is Mary lying to me? And, you know, how am I to trust? How am I to believe? And uh, they both had their doubts through this. And you're just looking at your life, and God's calling you into something. And you begin to express your doubts and really to think about what doubts do you have today? What do you doubt about God's plan for your life? What do you doubt about your future and what he's calling you to do and and how you're going to serve him? Uh, What doubts do you have tomorrow. We all face that. We all will feel that. And if we're honest, um, we, we can express that to God. If we can be honest with him about what it is that we're questioning of him about, what it is that we, we just are having a hard time believing that he could do. And, um, but if you're in that place, you, you can have hope, you can have confidence in God, knowing he knows what your doubts are, but also, like the angel spoke about, you can have hope because he does the impossible. Verse number 37, it says, the angel said, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary was ready for the impossible. She in her heart had had a posture in her life that said, um, God, whatever you want to do, um, I, I, you, can, you can do it. Whatever, whatever this purpose is for my life, I'm going to trust you through it. I don't know how it can happen, but I believe that you are the God of the impossible, and I will follow you in, through this impossibility. I will follow you through this mission. She was a virgin and gave birth to God's son. Now, the virgin birth is a very uh, important belief for us, um, whether you're a person deciding whether or not you're going to give your life to Jesus or you're a person who made a decision to follow Jesus. This is a pivotal piece of the story that we don't want to overlook. Just as kind of pivotal is his resurrection that we celebrate at Easter time, and both things, without one or the other, without his virgin birth or without his resurrection, we don't have a faith. And so both of these are very important, and his virgin birth is very, very important. If the virgin birth did not play, take place, then there is no perfect Savior who could, who could um, uh, die on the cross and be... Um, and, and, and take the punishment for our sin. So because Jesus did not have an earthly father, he did not have a sinful nature that you and I all have. If you've got a little kid, you understand kids are born with a sinful nature. You recognize that in the middle of the night almost every night. And, um, and, and for me this week, having a great, wonderful kids, one of my kids, I joke you not, punched me in the face this week. I could not even believe it. It was out of anger, and I was trying to talk to him, and he swiped me. My glasses went flying across the room. It was unbelievable. I can't even believe it. But, but people, ha- he is not 
the perfect son of God, all right? He, he has a sinful nature. Every single one of us has that, except Jesus didn't. Because he was not conceived by man. God just, um, uh, he just put on flesh. God just made a miracle in Mary. So without that, without Jesus being born of a virgin, without him being born without sin or without a sinful nature, there's no forgiveness of sins. If you've ever, if you've ever gotten in trouble with some friends, and um, uh, hopefully you've never had this, but take for instance, you're standing before a judge, you've both been vandalizing and breaking windows and spray painting things on your grandmother's house, and you get arrested for it, and you say to the judge, hey, I want to take his punishment so you can let him go free. The judge is going to be like, no, you're both guilty. I'm not letting him off the hook. You're both, you both committed the crime. You're both, um, you're both going to be sentences, sentenced. Kind of the only opportunity we have is if someone who was innocent said, hey, I will take their punishment as an innocent person so they can go free. Well, this is what Jesus did. Because he didn't have sin, he was able to die on a cross in your place and in my place for the sins we've done in our life. And if we allow him to, we can have that forgiveness because God will say, hey, you're guilty. And we'll say, hey, Jesus said he will take my punishment. So I'm, gonna follow, I, I'm following Jesus. Then God will say, all right, you're innocent. That punishment will be placed upon Jesus. That couldn't have happened without the virgin birth. So we this morning, we have hope. We have confidence in God because he's God. We have confidence in God because he can do the impossible. What impossible thing is in your life today? We're all kinds of different people coming from all kinds of different places, but maybe you feel like it's impossible for you to believe. You want to. It sounds nice. You feel like you should believe, but then you're like, virgin birth, come on. I can't believe people believe this. And it's, it's impossible for you to step over that line of faith and step over that line of belief in him. Maybe you believe it, but you're just like, you know, it's, it's just, I feel like it's impossible for me to follow him. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think it's impossible for me to be forgiven. It's impossible for, for me to be changed. And you have all these impossible things that are keeping you. you. You want to, and you know you want to, but it's just, it's just, I, you know, I don't think God could forgive me. I don't think he'd ever want to forgive me. I don't think I could ever change. And you think that's impossible. Maybe you're here and you think, you know what, it's just impossible for me to serve God. I, I've tried it before. I, I just can't seem to do I don't have enough time. I, he's calling me to do something I'm not qualified to do. And you think it's impossible. I believe in him. I love him. But I can't do what he's calling me to do because he just doesn't get it. He, I, mean, I just don't think he gets that I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not capable of doing that. What impossible thing is in your life today? Listen, have hope. Have confidence in God because he can do the impossible. If you will take that step like Mary did to say, hey, I am your willing servant, Lord God. If you can take that step this morning and say, hey, God, you know what? I've got my fears. I've got my doubts. But I'm, I just am going to follow you because I believe that you're the God of impossible. And I don't know how you can forgive me, but I believe you can do it. I don't know how you can use me, but I believe that you're going to do it. And I'm just going to allow you to do what you want to do with my life, that I will live and fulfill the purposes that you have 
for me? Can you get yourself this morning to that place of having a willing heart for whatever God wants to do in your life? If you close your eyes, I want to take a moment and pray for you. Nothing weird is going to happen in these moments. I just want to pray for you. With your eyes closed, you can kind of think about God and focus on God. And you can even begin to, in your own head or, or whispering where you are, talking to God and asking Him to do something in your life. You can have the hope that I'm talking about today. Have a hope by placing your confidence in God and what God can do and what God did for you. Or you can continue having hope in an American way where you just wish things would get better and, and never make that decision to give your life to follow Jesus. And this morning, I want you to have hope that comes from God. I want you to have hope and confidence from God to make a decision today to give Him your life, to give Him everything in your life. Jesus, I thank you for everyone here in our service today and everyone who's been in all of our services today. I pray that we will have hope because of what you did. You, you know, you left heaven. You came, um, you came to earth. You became a God among us um, to, that you would have a chance to experience what we've experienced, but also that you'd have a chance to f rescue us and free us from the clutches of the grave and the clutches of sin. You've defeated it all through your birth, through your death, and through your resurrection. And we have the opportunity right now to put our faith in the God of the impossible and to have hope in the God of the impossible. So right now we make a decision to do that. We give you our hearts. And for those in here who've never made a decision to follow you, we, we, right now we give you our lives. Say, I make a decision today, Jesus, to follow you. I ask you to forgive me and to save me and to be with me. Jesus, for anyone in here who made a decision to follow you, but they're not following you, they just, too many fears, too many doubts getting in the way, and, and I just pray they will believe in you, have faith in you, have hope in you, their confidence being in you, the God of the impossible, and they would willingly step into what you've been calling them into. And I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name.